coming for him. They're going to go nuts when he hits this thing. <laughs> Yo, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the program called Preferred Lines, where we are a golf betting podcast here to get you covered everything you need to know for the Sony Open this week. Uh, I'm proud to be presented new presenting sponsor for the first time in Preferred Lines history, Roto Baller, the team. I announced it last week. Uh, Sit back relax enjoy the show this is preferred lines and as we begin the show as you see it running across i kind of wanted to expand a little bit on the relationship that i have now developed with an exciting team over at roto baller i have partnered with them i am doing exclusives content which includes my top 10 power rankings for the week a course preview a market movers exclusive video long shot content i'm available in the discord um, they have an incredible team that you will have access to. All you got to do is sign up for Roto Baller. Go on there, create an account, use the promo code LINES. There is a link in the description to do so. Please use that promo code LINES, L-I-N-E-S. That'll let them know that I sent you. Um, if you've supported this show over the years, I really put a ton of effort into sort of pitching them myself to get on board and that I have this incredible, engaging following of people who are here live with the show now, like Ted, like Fran, like my boy Evan, all of you guys. Make sure to use that so that they know that I sent you and uh, and we're off to another sort of banner year in 2024 with the help of our good friends at Roto Baller. Um, one of the members of that incredible Avengers team and most hardworking people in the industry is going to join me in just a few minutes. But before we do so, a friendly reminder to those of you who may be new listeners. I am streaming this live on the Preferred Lines YouTube channel, as always, and on the Rotoballer YouTube channel right now. So if it's your first time listening or a long time proud member of the Preferred Lines community, I'd like to invite you to take three seconds to appreciate and be grateful for your health, for your friends, for your family, and for life. Knock that out. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Thank you for being here. I'm honored now to bring on a guest to the show this week. He is a friend of mine. I mentioned him earlier. He is part of one of the hardest working teams in the industry of professional golf content. Welcome back into Preferred Lines. My boy Byron at the Model Maniac, Roto Baller fam. What's up, baby? Dude, let's freaking go. Happy to be on the show with you once again and happy to be part of the show as teammates this time round. And Rotobola is obviously very thrilled to have you on the squad. And we are just delighted to be marching into 2024 with just like you mentioned, the Avengers family, baby. We are just ready to take on whatever aliens and and godforsaken Chris Kirks that come our way in the future. So Got That's right, man. Listen, bit I didn't week, even have we'll to send that. you. I didn't even have to send you the memo on floral shirt season. I knew that you'd come prepared. I expected nothing less. Uh, but you touched on it. Let's start right there and dig right into it. Uh, Chris Kirk, we both, I believe, we both had uh, Sahith Tagala tickets that we were sweating eagerly coming down the stretch on Sunday. Um, but Chris Kirk was impressive to me. I lost the bet. 
but he seemingly never lost control of his rhythm. He never got flustered, which was very impressive, despite a barrage of players charging behind him, making like this is something that is difficult to do, Byron. When guys are shooting eight, nine under par and chasing you, the ability to sort of hold on and maintain that lead. He made one bogey all week. How about that performance? Even though we were saddened by a second place, how impressed were you and coming away with what happened at the century when you saw Chris Kirk? You know, I was thinking like this show's all about emotion and about being real and things like that. And for Chris Kirk, he's he's doing something that's bigger than life. He's doing something that's like he's the stuff that he's been through with the drinking and alcohol abuse and things like that. When he's playing a golf tournament, he's got Scotty Scheffler, Diana Shafley, the boys behind him. That ain't no Jim Beam that's been staring at him from the shelf, you know, like he's he's dealt with bigger demons in his life. And I think coming back and being open about everything that he's done and gone through, just it just makes being in that situation normal almost in a way. I'm sure he was nervous as balls. You could see some seriously sketchy putts from him there, but he just kept going, man. And when I thought we had a chance on 17, when the wind picked up a little bit and he was 200 yards out and then he threw a 200, he was like the, the white Walker from game of Thrones, where we just thought we were out of the clear. And he just threw that dagger from millions of miles away to two feet. Couldn't miss that putt. So props to him. Yeah. You mentioned something that we were both big believers in. And I think it's a big part of this show and sort of, um, we talk a lot about the power of the mind and manifesting results. And I've got some comments later on it uh, for my final thoughts segment this week, but um, letting things sort of come naturally to you. Chris Kirk doesn't strike me as a player who's ever really chased distance. He's never really chased a different swing. He's frankly never really chased results. Like he's not a player that spends his off season. I would imagine grinding. It's about family with him. He spent a month, he said, playing left-handed and he's just letting things come very naturally to him. He plays this little draw that doesn't seem to be um, ever out of rhythm or out of place. And it's so consistent and the guy just goes out there and does his thing. And, and it was impressive to watch, even though, without a doubt, I was rooting for Sahith, who I thought had a great Sunday. Obviously had that fantastic opening round. But, you know, you go out and you shoot eight under par on Sunday, and I'm sure he wants that little chip back on 18. But ultimately, I think Kirk probably plays that final hole a little bit differently if he knows that he needs birdie. So um, ultimately just came away with impressed on the week with, with both players highly yeah and we got golf back and it was great you know it was a great tournament too you know we took the owl it is what it is but i enjoyed every sickening second of that man it was just so much fun to be part in back in the mix back in the action and it was just it was great to watch so yeah primetime golf baby it was awesome viewing experience a little whale watching a little rolfing a little trade winds talk uh, always love when we get back to the century it. let's talk about sahith for a second um yeah. Give me, Byron, a player comp for Sahith. Like, what are your expectations for his PGA Tour career? Are we talking about a player that is going to get to 10 wins? How have you seen the evolution of his game that would leave you to believe that he's prepared to potentially take the next step in 2024? And what are your long-term expectations for a player like Digala? So it's going to be a bit of a home answer here, but Cam Smith... I think is a great okay. comp for him. Wild off the tee can get absolutely dialed in on the wedge side of things and 
when he's feeling it, there's no one really much better with the short game and just pulling out miraculous shots from all over the place. Um, so he's proven that over the last little while, he's really, really solid when he comes. I mean, he never lost that tournament. You know, like you can say the 18th could have been a bit better, but dude, he shot 10 under par to go and try and take that thing. He, he When he won the 40 net, he said, the thing I'm going to do here is put on the gas. I'm going to make birdie after birdie and birdie and make these people chase me down. And he never seemed like he was flappable. He was unflappable in the in the heat of the moment, once again, shortly after just winning a tournament. So I feel like every time Cam was in the mix, he kind of closed it out, played well at Kapalua, you know, like plays well at the Masters, those kind of things. So I think Sahith's really looking to to kind of take that next step. I don't think he's done doing his thing. Like he's won the Fortnite, yes, yeah. but he's that's it. Like that's one stepping stone. He's got two or three more this this year that he wants to kind of put his big old feet along. And I think he's gonna he's gonna do it, man. He's he's hungry, and I think he's he's primed to be an elite player once he can get the driver under control a little bit. Absolutely. Here, Ev- Evan make, mentions that uh, he thinks he's gonna be a two time major. For me, I think he continues to evolve as a player. I think there's a lot of room for improvement, which is almost scary to a degree based on what he's been able to do um, early in his career. I believe he's only 26 years old. He was a prolific winner in college. You know, he's the type of guy right now for me that I would kind of pigeonhole into certain course fits. It really has to be forgiving off the tee. Like, I don't love the Sony for Sahid. I don't love places like the Honda or, or RBC Heritage or Colonial for Sahith. I, I think courses like, you know, potentially the Waste Management, potentially places like Kapalua, Augusta National even, anything that is Core Crenshaw, that is Alexander McKenzie, it, it, anything that provides you wiggle room off the tee is really going to, I think, at this point in his career, be the places that I'm looking to hone in and kind of bet on him. I also wanted to touch, Byron, and and you and I were pretty active in the Rotoballer Discord. If you are, by, by the way, I got to mention, if you're, we're trying to get this thing more popping in that Rotoballer Discord. Yeah. If you are a member of, of the Rotoballer and you have a PGA sub, get in there. Like, you have total access. We're happy to answer any questions throughout the week, but... We kind of disagreed on something on Saturday a little bit in terms of like Scotty Scheffler and Victor. And I just hmm. wanted to bring it up because you had a you do an incredible job with numbers. Like you're as detailed and as thorough as anyone I think of the industry. And you kind of had a piece that highlighted different players scoring averages on Saturday and on certain days. Are you someone that thinks that that is um, out of curiosity, like a predictive stat? Is there something to that where guys tend to just play better when they get not so much any day of the week, but I think Saturday in particular is an important one to notate because at this point you've made your way through the cuts, you're locked into a paycheck and it's just kind of go out there and try to chase a win at that point. And I think there may be something too that I didn't initially put there for players that really tend to charge particularly on a Saturday. Do you see anything there? Yes. So there's definite like macro level traits that guys have some guys are Thursday, Saturday golfers. They'll get mm-hmm. themselves well into the cut line, fumble their way around Friday, do it again on Saturday, fumble their way outside of a top 20 on Sunday. You know, that's just their pedigree. You go look at their stuff and you can see it happen. But then there's also a bit of context inside of those round-by-round analysis, which I've incorporated. That's why my, my Rotoballer showdown model came out so late on, on Sunday morning was because I went into round four 
and found. Like there's guys that you can see round four scoring when they have only gained when they've gained less than nine strokes through the three rounds. 75% of tour winners gain nine strokes or more through the first night three rounds. And putting yourself in that position affords you to to win a tournament or to absolutely blow it up, right? So like there's certain guys that really function well when there's nine plus strokes under their belt already. And there's certain guys like Xander that kind of doesn't really like to put his foot on the gas when he's in the mix, right? So, and Cantley, I bet Cantley, so I'll say that. But there's definitely pedigrees. There's definitely DNAs. If you take a look at it from a macro thing, I looked at the whole year and Scotty's Saturday rounds just aren't there. And um, I don't know what he's going to have to do about that. Um, Switching gears a tad, did it bother you at all that guys were destroying par at the course? And we almost got to 30 under. We saw it a few years ago. I believe the field average score in terms of like the the middle player in the field was either 18 or 19 under par, which is good enough to win over half the events on the PGA Tour schedule. Um, I know that par is relative. I know that it shouldn't matter. But to me, it just I don't love that guys are having eight irons and seven irons into par fives. I feel like they could manipulate that course setup a little. Even the final hole by it plays 600 some yards. Everyone can get there. Why not make that a closing part? Like, does it bother you at all? Like it kind of bothers me a little bit. Not as much. I, okay. I don't think the scores did any, it didn't take away from my enjoyment of last week. However, were we to go back to Kapalua again this week or go back to the Shriners again or, or somewhere and just have like another comp? I think it's all everything in moderation. You know, we can probably chat about this at the end again, but like everything in moderation, including moderation itself. And the fact that there was just a lot of birdies and, and good putts being made and, and guys just balling out was exciting to start the season. You know, like we'll get to Riv and we'll get to some other places later and then we'll like get back to normality. But I do agree. Like, they could easily make that final hole par four. They could make a few. They should make fourteen a par three. Like just make it a par. I three. mean, fifteen is fifteen has got to be a, a par four, right? Yeah, yeah. They should just it's change five hundred and seventeen yards. It's like yeah. it's not a difficult hole at all. Yeah, it's it's not. And okay, but I think there's integrity to the his, history books. Maybe is why yeah. they maybe not like changing the pars and things like that because you know Ernie. Good point. You know Ernie might you know. But I don't know. Um, yeah. Um, we're two guys that aren't afraid to be a little loud with our shirts and what we wear from time to time. Favorite? We saw some new styles broken out at the Century. Favorite new look? Were you feeling Xander and sort of the all-black Decente look? What were your thoughts on Spieth and a little, uh, a little Under Armour row pad? I, I didn't think – it. it just like – Something about Spieth, man, I kind of like what they're doing at Under Armour, but it just doesn't fit him right. Like, they need to, even if it's the shirt that is going to be on the rack for $44 in Under Armour stores, they need to get him a different shirt that is tailored to him a little better because nothing seems to fit him correctly. But the story of the week, we got to talk about Jason Day and all the the sheer magnitude of that fabric in those pants on Friday. What were your thoughts? Expand on a little bit of style from the century for me. Buddy, I 
I can't, I'm not going to claim that I'm a stylistic connoisseur. All right. But I, I'm brash and I'm bold. So I can appreciate a good, a good pair of puff pants and, and some, you know, fancy flannel looking t-shirts here and there. So J day. And I think at the end of the day, what, what these companies are really like Jay Lindenberg and, and whatever J day is sponsored by, I don't even know how to say it properly, but they're looking for a wow factor. I, I've watched Emily in Paris once and it's chic. You know, I think that's the way to kind of describe, oh, it's so chic, you know. And I think that's the everyone was speaking about it. We speaking about it. Jay Day felt comfortable. He was balling out. The more bland his clothing got, the worse he tended to play in a way. So, like, go out there and feel good, play good, man. So, yeah. Um, it's very interesting, man. I mean, we got we got the news today that Tiger has split with Nike, and it feels like these players are more and more they're more and more willing to step outside of the box and become a brand. And they're understanding that this is their path with whether it be social media, whether it be what they wear, but they don't all have to fit in the same box anymore. And they don't all have to conform to what you would consider some of the norms at golf. And it started a while ago when players, you know, when we got the hoodies and stuff like that. But um, it's nice to see a company like Malbone or Malbon. I'm not sure how it's pronounced either, uh, but it's nice to see them break in. I think Siwoo Kim is now with with Bad Birdie and these these different sort of offshoot, smaller, more niche brands that are making an entry into the space. I think it's good for the game of golf. So was excited to see him step outside of the box. I can't necessarily see myself wearing those on the course, but I'll tell you what, Malbon loved it the good the yeah. bad pr is pr and whether people hated it if they're tweeting about it those people were absolutely ecstatic yes dude and then my favorite part was like victor just comes out there and it looks like they just took like a dispensary bag and just wrapped it around a t-shirt and just made him go wear it it was just like the psychedelic red crap that he's been yeah. jay lindenberg's still industry leader but Melbourne's on on their way yeah, Grayson had some good stuff. I don't know if he, they didn't show him much, but Eric Van Ruyen had some stuff going on, man, down <laughs> he's there. Even, he's he had some shit going on. <laughs> um, okay, give me, let's switch to the Sony. Mm. Give me real quickly your most heavily weighted stat. The most important one stat for the Sony, if you could pick one, is... Good shot percentage from 125 to 200 yards, particularly 150 to 200. Got it. Um, what's the percentage of shots that come from that range, and how does that compare to PGA Tour average? 67% of shots come from 125 to 200 this week. And wow. compared to Tour average, it's 8% more from 150 to 175, 5% more from 175 to 200. And then still 2% more from 125 to 150. So between all of that, that's 15% more total strokes from that range than we're going to see into our average. And if you can dart it in from that, that proximity, you're going to be in business, especially if you're hitting from the fairway. Yeah, we got a nice little field this week, too. It, it, you know what? It's encouraging, actually, to see the field strength in a non, excuse me, not elevated, a non-signature event series. Be so high where you have a number of top 50 players in the world. Um, we get the English guys. We get the young studs as well as guys over the years who have parentally attended this event. Do you think we will see more of this this year where players are 
more willing to play events outside of this signature series and go to Sony's and go to these sort of um, less than, I don't want to use the word elevated, but not the, to, not the giant feel, not the giant purse, but go out there, play an event that's an established, longstanding partner of the PGA Tour and go out there and try to knock a victory off. I, I don't know why I keep bringing in Game of Thrones here, but you know when that that one brother runs away from Ramsey Bolton and you think he just got away and he made it in and then the arrow comes from out of nowhere? That's Justin Thomas. And I don't think anybody on the PGA Tour wants to be JT. <laughs> like, you, you've gone from absolute stardom to now playing in the Amex. You know, like, yeah, things can be rough if you don't play enough tournaments and get enough FedEx Cup points. And I think people can be pretty scared of it. And there's tons of cash available in these signature events and they want to be playing in them. So why not play in a few more tournaments to give yourself a better opportunity of affording yourself those, those starts. So I think, I think it's a great concept. You know, the tour, at least it did. I think that's one thing that they've done well is kind of figured out how to change the, the season into a bit more of a dynamic situation. And, and although there's only eight of these signature events or so, I think there's a lot um, to, to be looking forward to. Yeah. Let's talk about the course for a minute. All right, Wildlife Country Club, a long-standing event on the PGA Tour schedule. It's a course that was originally uh, started in the early 1920s by Seth Rayner. Um, Rayner actually died in 1926, just a few months before the course officially opened for play. But there have been a, several renovations over the years where people have stepped in and got their hands in the dirt over there, including Robert Trent Jones, uh, Desmond Muirhead, Rick Smith, most notably Tom Doak a few years ago did some work on the greens. Um, every year this this tournament places a par 70, even though if you or I go to play Wildlife Country Club, it's a par 72. They actually also flip the nines from what you would play if you were to go there yourself. Um, the entire place is, is tee to green, Bermuda grass, it is a coastal strain that can oftentimes be challenging and unpredictable for certain players. The greens are relatively flat, very flat compared to what we saw last week, but they're also quicker. Typically roll 11 to 12 on the stint meter. I believe last year uh, it has had the highest make percentage from 5 to 10 feet on the PGA Tour. So the greens are, are, are completely true. And if you're a good putter, this should be a place that you love going. And we see several players who have historically been good putters choose to put this event on their schedule every year for a reason. Um, you kind of have a great architectural design. I believe that has been a little bit taken advantage of by some of the distance players have packed on in the last 10 to 15 years, but great dog legs, yeah. smart bunkering. It seems players in more recent years are more willing to hammer driver like it used to be a place where everyone i believe would would club down and just try to put the ball in the fairway but if you're long and you're straight you can cut some corners out here there are several trees that are very tall but um if you trust your accuracy off the tee you can kind of get around them um i'm looking primarily at approach play i'm absolutely factoring in around the green and filtering in some uh bermuda grass like specialties i guess in that area mm -hmm. you have to be a proficient putter here's i have a couple of player quotes that i wanted to sort of 
point out by guys who have had success here. Kevin Kisner, um, who I thought did a fantastic job to note on the coverage. I thought he was absolutely amazing. And you know what was cool about Kisner? He was willing to criticize some players. Like my one thing on when you get a former player in the booth is they are oftentimes a little shy about taking shots. Um, he took some shots at some of his friends. He he basically kind of lamented Scotty Scheffler and his putting stroke and how he's too closed and it's much like his driver swing. He brought some great stuff to the coverage. But here's what Kids said about this place. Point A to point B and make some putts. Kind of my MO. I appreciate when we get courses that play in that manner and it's not really about seeing how far you can hit it. Um, Hideki Matsuyama said, the fairways are so wide there at the plantation course, speaking about the previous week, but here at Wiley, it's more narrow. The key this week was keeping the ball in the fairway. Kucher said it's certainly a unique course. We don't play many like it. It reminds me a bit of Hilton Head, a little bit of Colonial, tight, narrow, but man, it's tricky. And Cam Smith, who was a winner here a few years ago, said, I love this place. It reminds me so much of home, to be honest. The grasses are almost the same. Those are a few player quotes about the course. Do you have anything that, that you're kind of looking to, to to add in there, Byron? No, because I think, you know, you ask for a key stat. There's, yeah. there's many, you know, like you can point in many different directions to Cam Smith winning at this venue. Like, okay, throw driving accuracy out the window. You know, like um, watching Hideki do his thing, throw putting out the window like kind of you know he putted well but you know the drill like i think the beauty of this course is it really opens up the entire field and really lets you just kind of play your game and just adapt your game to the course and and just go from there i think it's it's one of the few like colonial like cooch said like it's still gonna hold its ground even though we're gonna see like minus 20s or so maybe without the wind um if the wind pops yeah. up then it's then it's gonna be a fun fun week yeah, mostly seven iron and shorter in terms of the clubs. You don't really hit any 200 plus yard shots. You mentioned you're sort of extending your proximity out to um, out to 200 yards. You know, it looks like last year, 26 percent of shots came from 150 to 175. That's about seven percent more than the average PGA Tour stop. There's more from 125 to 150. That you, once you start to get to like oh, 200 to 250 yard shots, I think mostly because you don't have those par fives and the par threes aren't insanely long like we sometimes see. But um, a good test of a golf course, you will have a lot of wedges in and you're going much like last week. The score under par is going to be very low. Um, we've seen Russell Henley shoot back to back 63 or lowers here. We've seen Justin Thomas set the place on fire a few years ago. So if you get hot, you can definitely string together birdies and bunches. Yep. Shout out Kevin. Nine minus nine first round while ago. All right. Shout out. Let's uh let's bet the board. What do you say? Let's bet it, baby. Bringing to the stage the odds checker grid. Um, favorite for this week. I mean, didn't have a great week last week, but he's right back up here at the top. Ludwig Oberg, 16 to 1. Then you have Matt Fitzpatrick at 18 to 1, Tyrrell Hatton at 18 to 1, Russell Henley at 20 to 1, uh, Brian Harmon there at 22, Corey Connors now has been bet down to 28 to 1, Eric Cole at 30. Those are the players under 30 to 1 this week. Is there a guy that you are drawn to from this top of the board? Not financially. 
but I am inclined to want to lean into some sort of a Brian Harmon placement bet. I think I wanted to get there, but I just couldn't quite. I just found too many nice guys out in the 40s, which we'll get to a little bit later. But I feel like there's some guys coming into this week with some seriously good form. You know, like Brian Harmon is playing some good golf right now. And I feel like he suits this course. He's, his plodding is really going to come to fruition at a venue like this. And the way that he's putting is it, he could could have a US uh, a British Open part two, yeah, you know, in a, in Hawaii. Um, ideally, yeah. I hope not for my sake, but um, I can see it happening. And I feel like Russell Henley, obviously, I mean, talk about a course that fits a person's player profile, right? Russell Henley, obviously right. just an A-plus fit. And then speaking of fits, I don't think fits quite fits this course either. You know, I, I think with the distance and things, even though he won at Harbortown, that was just on the back end of some incredible iron play that I don't think um, he, he will touch again. You know, I think it was like one of his top top five or some ridiculous stat. But um, yeah, Aberg's driving is interesting. Touching everybody in the top yeah. I'm, I haven't bet any of yeah. them and I won't. But um, each guy has a case outside of the two Englishmen, I would say. Yeah, Oberg's driving is interesting to me too. While this certainly would not be, I think, classified into a barrel of a bomber's paradise um he has a unique bombing ability to hit it really really straight and it worked out amazing for him uh when he won back in the fall swing at a course that i didn't think was a bomber's paradise either like a place like kapalua is a terrible course for oberg because the way things funnel and come into those collection areas, um, someone like Sahith who hits it way offline or, you know, someone like uh, Chris Kirk even is ending up in the same spot as Ludwig for their approach shot. That will not happen here. You're going from a place with 500 feet of elevation to a place with 10. It's completely flat. How far you hit it is how far you hit it. And you're not going to be enhanced or accelerated by any sort of slopes or funnels in the fairways. I think that should accentuate his ability, unique ability to be probably the best driver of the ball in the entire field. Um, for me, the guy is Brian Harmon, though. I rated him number one in my power rankings piece this week. He has played this event every year for the last 10 years. And while the finishes probably won't blow you away. I think the form does blow me away. I love the fact that he does have the prerequisite course history here. He understands the course. It's one of the most consistent and predictive layouts year over year, so he should understand the greens. He is fantastic at chipping and putting on Bermuda grass, especially on some of those tight lies and tucked pins when you can short side yourself and he does miss it. I was impressed with his play last week, particularly his iron play, and I was frankly really impressed with how he was able to build upon the open championship win at Royal Liverpool. Um, he played well during the fall. He played well at the hero. He played well at the tour championship. He played well last week at Kapalua. And now you're coming to a place that I think is the best course fit for him of any stop he's been to since the open championship. He's the guy for me. I honestly think that if you hold out on Wednesday, my book and some of these other books will inflate a little bit and pump some air in the tires of these odds on Wednesday morning. I think I would love to get to a 24, 25, but I'm happy to accept the 22 at the current price. If nothing moves. Amen. And don't forget that as small as his backbone was, he was 
a big part of the Ryder Cup's backbone little that there was too, right? He played some great Absolutely. golf at the Ryder Cup. Uh, 30 to one range, mid range here. Uh, your defending champion, I'm sorry, not defending champion, but another player with fantastic course history. Your champion from last week, Chris Kirk, is at 33 to one. JT Poston, 33 to one. Sahith is back at 33. Benny on at 40. Harris English, 40 to one. Siwoo Kim, who is your defending champion here at 40 to one. Todd at 45. Rose at 45. We get the debut of Will Zalatoris in a full field event at 45 to one. Um, anyone in there that sort of has your attention? Yes. A lot of my attention was this morning when most of these guys had a four in front of their name or to the side of their name, and it was Sahith the Gala. I know you mentioned it's not a good course fit, but I grabbed a 45 this morning. I don't know if I would have gone there to 33 like it's there right now, but I will mention some other. Of course, Phoebe's going to bring out the dog's toys here while we're speaking about <laughs> JT Poston. Let's let him hunt you a little bit. But um, I think JT Poston's approach play has been fantastic. I think he's played well at courses like Harbortown, at Sedgefield, places like that that have required a little bit of niche off the tee and not necessarily that much overpowering. Um, I think he's going to do some wonderful things this week. I've got him in the card. And then Benny Arn. I, I'm thrilled with what this guy's been up to lately. He's, he's playing good golf on every kind of course. He doesn't seem like he should. He's a long-hitting son of a gun. One of the, He leads the field in strokes gain off the tee, I think. Um, and... It's going to be fun to see him rocking and rolling. Yeah, I think he he does well on these shorter courses. He's a very good short game wizard, which he never really got to flex that much last week. You know, at a course where you're going to hit lots of green regulations, and he still finished fourth with that broomstick putter. He's also putted well at this venue before before moving to the broomstick. Now he's got the magic broomstick. I think Benny Ahn is one of my favorite players this week again. That's an interesting one for me. Um, I love the switch to the putter that he made. This course is such a stark contrast from what we saw last week. It's really hard. Like I look at a player like Brendan Todd, right, who struggled last week but should be an excellent course fit. How much stock am I putting into a terrible course fit for him where he didn't play well now to a place where he should have some success. I'm interested. I might take that plunge. Siwoo Kim is intriguing to me because he's shown the ability to show up at places year over year that he's had success mm -hmm. and continue to ride the form and confidence that he brought over. Sahith, I don't think I'm quite there for some of the same reasons. Like I just don't love his he's got a little speed in him man where he can get really wayward off the tee and, and wonder where it's going but he's magical around the greens and getting up and down i love that aspect of his game i just worry that the width of the fairways in some of the areas outside of them that will be much more penal and some of those tee shots that i saw him hit on sunday will be off the golf course here. Um, yeah. So that that's my one concern about the Gala. You made some good points about posting. Chris Kirk's course history here um, is nothing short of phenomenal. Like he's had, let me, let me look at his sort of numbers. Um, I had them up third, 27th, second. So he's got two top threes in the previous three years. Coming off a win, um, it, you look at other courses that I – one of the courses that I think is a decent comp is, is PGA National. Um, it's an interesting one, but it is a shorter length, par 70, tight Bermuda grass. 
um, which requires a little bit more emphasis on good drives and accuracy than it does on pure distance. It's a place where he got a win last year. He just came off a win on the Hawaii swing. I don't mind it, um, but the, but I actually have moved on just to some guys right below this. Svensson, Putnam, Cam Davis, Denny McCarthy, Hideki, Kucher. I have interest in three. I could have interest in four, but Svensson, Davis, McCarthy all really have my attention. The one I've pulled the trigger on is Denny. Um, I really love the course fit for him. I really love some of his numbers historically that he's posted at a course like this. I really appreciate the fact that I think that um, it is going to lean into the ranges where he has gotten a lot better with his approach game. Um, he's increased some of his accuracy off the tee, and you get a place that rolls totally true. And like that place last week is almost kind of hard to read putts. This place is pretty straightforward and it's flat. And if you're a great putter, it's going to show here. You look at Cam Smith, you look at Jordan Spieth, you look at um, even Kevin Na and Kucher and guys who have had success and won here. Like Denny, this could be the spot for my boy. Um, 32nd and 48th the, the last couple of years here. So nothing insanely great. But the other one that I'm interested in is, is Hideki. Um, I don't think he hit it great last week. I've been, you know, if Instagram could tell a story, it would tell you that he's been practicing and working on his game. But um, he's just awesome from those ranges that you specified earlier. 125 to 200 yards is a wheelhouse for Hideki Matsuyama. He is a great putter at this course historically. He's got the win here. He's got a couple of other top 20 and a 12th place finish in 2020. 50 to one's a big number on a player of his caliber. And he just sticks off the page in this range. He does. But, you know, I did that series of top 10 biggest cash losers for you. If you bet two and a hundred dollars per bet. And I've, I had to find multiple videos of a decky. So <laughs> if that answers your question, right? So okay. like, um, I just, until he shows me something, something like I never saw anything last week, you know, like that was just an abomination. I mean, the guy was just yeah. lost. So until we get some traction, I'll be back on Decky. But until then, no. Are you okay with like someone like Matt Kuchar at fifty to one? Um, for a top ten, I don't think a, a win. I don't. I don't think Matt Kuchar. I. I want to say that like as you get older, the guys don't have that killer instinct anymore. But then you get like Stuart Sink and stuff. But certain guys, I think like Kuch just can't hang. Doesn't have that like hunger to win it you know like he's been there done that he's oh i'm playing well look at me go you know i'm maybe i'll win this tournament maybe i won't but yeah it's just every time I, i've bet cooch up more than you want to know uh, so i know exactly what he's done on sundays when in the mix and he plays well at these courses that he plays well at historically but he yeah. just doesn't ever seem to get across the line for you you know so i think he's a good safer bet kind of thing i would love to see him rededicate himself um and part of that is i feel like he could use a bit of a resurgence in his game but he's gotten fat man cooch is out of shape like I, i'd love to see him you know get stronger get back like try to 
get back into really good shape like we saw Stuart sink a couple of years ago when he made that run and and we've seen so many players do it in their 40s and Justin Rose most recently last year like he's got another run in him but he he could use some some dedication and commitment to his craft and I think he's got the skill set where um, he could potentially have like a, a, a third chapter of his career if things go well yeah um he could (laughs) okay the weirdest number for me and it's a guy who hasn't played uh did not play very well last week but keegan bradley at 60 to 1 was someone Mm -hmm. that i bet it just felt too big um i think that he is a player that was right on the precipice of making the Ryder cup team he's coming off probably um historically the best year of his career um in in he got that victory obviously at the travelers he's he's played well on some shorter golf courses before he just doesn't feel like he belongs necessarily in this range he's played this event a ton there are some missed cuts in there there are some top 12s in there i love to see sort of the history coming off a 45th place finish uh last week is not great let me see where he ranks in my model um Okay, he's not terrible. He's fourth in strokes gain total and on short golf courses, 13th in strokes gain approach over the last 36 rounds. There are some numbers in terms of bogey avoidance that I don't love and short game that I don't love, but um, I've got him 19th in my model in the entire field. I think it's a decent number at 60 or 65 to one that I was just surprised, frankly, to see hanging this morning and I grabbed a piece. Yeah. I've got him ranked 12, so I've even higher on him than you are from the model standpoint. But personally, the maniac in me says, no, like I'm not really, you know, I, I, haven't, yeah. I haven't seen it from Keegan in a while. I mean, you know, like, but he just pops up, you know, if this, if there's any sort of Boston vibes in Hawaii this week, he's going to win this thing, you know, like that's just how he goes. And I've been waiting for him to like spite everyone after the, the Ryder Cup snub, and he really hasn't just shown showing up yet you know so yeah we'll, we'll have to, i'm gonna play wait and see a little bit more um on keegan and actually go to another guy that's sitting right underneath him there called lucas glover Ooh. oh lucas glover talk to me about him he led that field of thoroughbred ball strikers in strokes gained approach last week he really did yes hmm. he did so he was ball striking the hell out of it and now we go to a course where that course doesn't suit him at Kapalua, you know, that little ropey draw down the middle every time. Not, I mean, maybe, you know, but this course, I feel like he's going to keep his ball in play a lot better. And I think with the broomy, there's always a chance that that thing can spike out of nowhere. You know, like these brooms, I've got oh, like yeah. two broomstick putters on my squad this week. And I think, you know, Glover's not in the past. I think the six round he's played, he, he hasn't like been abysmal on the greens yet. So he's found them manageable with the flat normal putter and now we got a putter that's theoretically better for him i think we can see maybe positives on the on the putting front there and and really see him fly up the leaderboard especially on the back of he's ball struck this place to death in the past you know like iron wise and just hasn't made the putt so um good good play for me i like him there. he's got some solid solid reasonings uh speaking of broomies how do you feel about akshay batia 60 to 1 akshay through three rounds was phenomenal. Now that was hinging a lot on that broomstick putter. Um, 
tough scene to open the day on Sunday with a lost ball and the walk of shame back to the opening tee box. Uh, but he rebounded nicely. All in all, I think he had a good week. Like, Akshay was like, there's so much hype around. It feels like he's been around for a while, right? And we had all this hype before with Ludwig and then with the gala started to end. And these guys are older than Batia. Um, He's the youngest player out of the bunch. He's still developing as a player. He's still got room to grow. And I think the ceiling is very high for a player like him. If he can figure and and I'm encouraged by the, that he's willing at 21 years old, you know, usually guys go to the broomstick when it's like <laughs> failed for them for years. And it's a last resort like Benny on and Lucas yeah. Glover. Akshay's making that move early and it paid dividends through three rounds last week. And he is just fantastic with his, his wedges and his short irons. And I feel like that could help him a great deal this week. He is. He's phenomenal with, he's an, exceptional iron player but again going back to your points of round by round scoring in this field akshay 32nd 33rd strokes gained in round one and round two and then 96th and 94th over the weekends you know like that's his problem right like the metrics speak Hmm. to you there and then he gets himself up in the mix and then either saturday or sunday there's a bit of a a blemish and it's mostly with the irons like the he loses confidence in his biggest weapon so I don't think it's the putter's problem. I think it's mainly got to do with the fact that he's he's doubting his ability to just absolutely strike it like he can. So, yeah. um, but he's also one on the PGA, you know, like right. so he can do it, you know. But I don't, and I think that was a big moment for him last week. No, that's a big stage. You got some mass. Yeah. You got Scotty Scheffler behind you, man. Like I think anyone's going to be freaked out. So he's had a few of those though, which is what is encouraged to me. Like it, yeah. in Mexico, he was in the final round with Tony Finau and John Rahm, like next to them last week. He's in the final round with the winner and he's with Xander and he's got Scheffler in the group behind him. Like he's had some really big moments and while they haven't all worked out for him, that's part of being a young player, but he is getting quality reps under his belt that will suit him long-term um, when it comes time to start winning because it takes any player a little bit of a learning curve. I'm going to save Byron some of my long shots for a piece that I'm going to do exclusively for Roto Baller tomorrow or Wednesday later in the week, but is there one guy, give me a bomb that you really like this week that um, you think could go out and potentially win the Sony Open? Can you keep scrolling to the 200s? Yes, let's go. I've got a guy by the name of Tyler Duncan. And I'm going to quickly pull up his stuff here because I should have it ready. But he has been playing like 220 to 1 or 180 to 1. Um, Either way, whatever his number is, he has been playing fantastic. I think his last few starts have been like a multitude of top 20s. He finished T third at the RSM, T eighteen at the Shriners, and T sixteenth at the Sandersons. And if you if you want to succeed at this course, you got to be a good driver of the golf ball off the bat, and or at least that's what he is, right? And I think that really just helps you gain momentum going into the next phase of the game per hole. If you're in the middle of the fairway, stress free stuff, you can build momentum off of those drives and really lean into the approach play. And we've seen him spike a bit with the putter recently. We've seen him have a few good rounds on approach here and there. I mean, the guy's 201 for a reason. You know, I'm not going to claim like he's the best golfer in the field, but there's some serious value there. And I feel like 
I've been betting each ways a lot lately, and I think I'll be putting a top five on T dunks to kind of get it done from from far far down the leaderboard. Love it, man. Well, listen, it's fantastic as always to talk to you. I know that you've got to run. You've got the PGA show for Rotoballer coming up in a few minutes with Spencer and your boy Maddie Maddie Mills, right? Maddie Mills. Good stuff, man. I love the crew. Love to see what you guys are doing. Make sure to check that out. Make sure to give him a follow at the Model Maniac. Thank you, my friend, for fitting me into a packed Monday schedule. It was an honor and a pleasure to have you join us on the show as always, and wish you the best of luck this week, buddy. You too, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. As always, a thrill to be on the show with you as a squad now, and the, the blue and green looking pretty pretty mighty fine over here on the screen. So have a good week, Joe. Let's go, man. You too. Talk soon. Bye. All right, guys, let's do a uh, quick final thoughts segment and we'll get out of here. The national championship is going on right now. I got on over here. Michigan's got a short lead. We're starting to wrap up the first half, but I wanted to just spend a few minutes of final thoughts this week um, talking about an experience that I had this past weekend that I thought was really cool and how I think it kind of ties into what I saw to Chris Kirk on Sunday and his game and how it can relate maybe potentially to your life in general. Um, I spoke earlier in the show about Kirk and seemingly um, was very impressed with his ability to not force results on Sunday and results in his career. Um, and I think that goes to show that um, the advantage of not being held hostage by expectations and being overly results driven. I think he does an amazing job of that. Um, undeterred by those around him making charges and bigger names and a signature event um, and the changes that have gone on within the game and the changes that have gone on outside with, with the game of golf going through these different reiterations and evolutions as a tour and just maintaining full concentration on himself and the task at hand rather than tying it to a result. Um, so on the weekend, on Sunday morning, actually, my wife and I did, and a few friends, we did a Wim Hof class. And if you're not familiar with that, it is a breathing exercise. Um, and I didn't really know what to expect, and I don't think many people did. So what it is is you have a coach that is putting you through these intense, fast breathing exercises and it puts you mentally really off guard in a state that I don't think I've ever been in before. I researched it lightly before going in. And the first two rounds that you go through, I felt that I was so attached to what I thought I should or could be feeling um, and what the result of that would be. And my mind was wandering into a realm of, what is the result going to be at the end of this moment? And I wasn't getting much out of it. And finally, I just focused on listening to the instructor, going through the exercise, and I did my best to strip away what I thought the expectation should or could be and allowed my focus to just be on connection to my body, my mind, and listening intently on exactly what the teacher was instructing. Something pretty amazing happened. And if you ever have the opportunity to do one of these classes, I cannot recommend it enough. Um, what I went through, wow, like my fingers and toes felt 
disassociated with my body, almost like they had a, like a mind of their own. I started to, as my eyes were closed, see sort of light visions. You can feel your heartbeat in places of your body that you've never felt before, in your hands, in your knees, in your stomach. Um, I became so in tune with myself through breathing. It's the one thing in the world that we do unconsciously all the time, in any place, in any environment, without ever thinking about it. And the power that it can have over your mind was fascinating to me. So at the end of this sort of intense, fast breathing exercise, you are told to take one giant breath in and then out and let everything out um, and, and just get rid of every single piece of oxygen within your body. And you go into a mode that they call retention mode and all of your air is gone, but your mind starts going through almost very vivid visualizations and all this stuff and this strange feeling. And it felt like 30 to 45 seconds had passed before I took a breath and he tells you to open your eyes and come back and just absolutely floored with the with the results. We went with no breath, blowing your air out almost two and a half minutes without breathing the entire class. Nobody could believe it. Um, the woman next to me was uh, probably in her mid 70s and she goes, I'm higher than I've ever been in my life. And trust me, I've been high before. Truly like really amazing stuff. And it all happens because I was allowing and we were allowing ourselves to not feel focused on what the result of this should be and just letting it happen naturally. It became a little bit emotional through it. Um, I was trying to hold back laughter. My wife was almost in tears. It was really, really a cool experience. And boy, was it powerful. Um, just letting go, guys. Um, I highly re recommend it if you're ever looking for a way to sort of detach from the expectations of society or colleagues or yourself in many ways. Um, I feel today more grounded in my intentions and happiness. And that's what it's about is what your intentions are. It's not what happens with those intentions in many instances. And now I'm able to do something that I'm passionate about and energized about on a weekly basis. And I'm honored, honored, truly, that Rotoballer would provide me with a place to do so. Um, I'm thrilled that they were being able to be a presenting sponsor of this show. I wish you all the best of luck until next week. My name is once again, Joe Idoni. This has been another edition of the Preferred Lines program. Um, thank you all for being here. Fran, thank you. Ted, amazing stuff. Um, you guys should really, truly look into it. If you have any questions, give me a shout. Uh, use the promo code lines to sign up for a Rotoballer account. That would be a huge help for this show. Like and subscribe if you're here. Um, either way, I'm going to catch you next week. We're right back at it. Thanks for checking out the show. I'm out of here. Peace. Peace.